What's up, everybody? I'm Kyle Hamilton, All-American Safety for University of Notre Dame, and I just want to say thank you for tuning into the Full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. And welcome to another episode of the Fulton Yards College Football Podcast, which is a Your Team, Your Say edition. This week, we've got a couple of teams on with us, and we're going to start right at the very top. We've got um, our friend Henry Morgan on to talk about Alabama. So, like I said, we're starting right at the very, very top of college football. Uh, unbeaten team from last year, obviously, national champions. Um, we've had a couple of teams on who are, you know, pretty much aspiring to be that sort of thing, but we've got the real deal on this week. Henry, I welcome you in. How are you, my friend? You okay? Uh, roll Tide, Lee Wakefield. Love, lovely to be on. Thank you very much. Cracking build-up. Not sure I can uh, I can keep us at the same national championship level this year, but but we'll see. <laughs> we will see. We will see. We'll get to, we'll get yeah. to talking about uh, you know last season and, and next season. A few other things, things in between as well. Um, but no, first of all, obviously, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you know how you got into college football, how you ended up following Alabama, and just everything else you want the listeners to know, really. Um, okay, so how did I come to follow Alabama? So back in 2002, I was doing a history degree at University of Aberystwyth. Um, I'm originally from South London, so um, um, my dad was Welsh. I ended up in Aberystwyth somehow, uh, playing playing American football myself for the Aberystwyth Taranai. If there are any Aberystwyth um, college football uh, alumni out there, hey guys. Um, and anyway, it came to my attention that I could I could if I if I played my cards right and switched to a joint honours degree, I could get six months at a university in America. So, you know, I, I, I switched and applied to three universities. One of them was like up in Michigan, like uh, it wasn't Northwestern. They're not even in Michigan, are they? Um, um, but, you know, it, there was somewhere in like Michigan, in the middle of nowhere, University of Georgia and the University of Alabama. Okay. Something happened with the University of Georgia um, in Athens and that fell through. And they're like, right, so you're going to go to Alabama. And I was like, okay, great. Didn't really know anything about Tuscaloosa at the time Mm -hmm. or anything at all. I flew out with with, with a good friend of mine, uh, Tom McDowell. We landed in Alabama on New Year's Day 2002. which actually happened to be about five days after they had just beaten Iowa in the Independence Bowl, which we knew nothing about. Um, We went to this like initiation um, thing where you sit in a hall and these people come out with trumpets and there are like cheerleaders and there are people singing like the fight song and people like going, it's great to be from Alabama. And me and my mate Tom being from England were like, where are we have we come to some weird cult um you know and there were people like what I met this wonderful guy called Leon who's you know if he listens to this Leon um, how are you um his first question to me was do you walk with Jesus okay, Henry do you, pretty, do, you yeah. do you walk with Jesus do I walk with Jesus not that I'm aware of Leon but you know you can always point that out um, and this guy anyway took us around for, for a tour of the campus um, and thinking that he was going to show us places like the library, you know, the rec centre where you can get food, stuff like that. Just drove us straight to the football stadium. And right. it's like, this is Brian Denny. And, and proceeded to take us on a two hour tour of uh, the Brian Denny football stadium, which was looked a bit different than it does now. Um, and me and Mike Tom were like, 
great. Like, is there a game on soon? He's like, well, in September. Yeah. We're not going to be here in September. But anyway, and the long and short of it was, it, it soon became apparent that the college football team was enormous, not just in Tuscaloosa, not just there, but in the entire state of Alabama. And obviously, you know, Alabama doesn't have a professional NFL side. I liked NFL uh, college football. I didn't never really followed a team. I guess the Packers, Green Bay, would 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 be somebody who who I'd sort of vaguely followed. Um, I've been to Lambeau Field, for example, um, on, on that same trip, but I didn't know anything about college football. And it, to be honest, that just opened an entire new world. Um, it was college basketball season at, actually at the time, and I ended up going to as a, as a student there. You can go to every game for free, so I just ended up getting really caught up. And they won the SEC that year. They had this amazing thing. But um, at the same time, you know, I got caught in this really weird world of college athletics. Yeah. You know, it, it, it sounds like a fantastic experience. Um, and like I say, if there's any younger listeners, you know, it's a good advertisement to people like that to kind of, you know, work the way into a, an experience like you did, really. So, yeah, yeah. definitely advocate for that for sure. But let's, let's turn our attention um, onto the football. And yeah. let's talk about last season. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd imagine we're going to talk about this quite a lot. You know, obviously it went pretty well. There wasn't really a game that was close, really, was there? And it was only the Ole Miss shootout game that was... Ole Miss and Florida, I mean, Trask, if he, you know, uh, that, 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 was, that, was, that was close as well. I think if, if Florida get another possession in that game, it could be a different story in the SEC Championship mm. game. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought when the schedule came out, and you know, you've got ten conference games. The SEC is 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 a tough conference, and mm. I just I, I didn't, and and like I listened to uh, Bammer online, this guy called Travis Brower, and before the season, they're all saying this is a tough schedule. But I mean, yeah. I think they they were yeah. all predicting that we would go, maybe lose one game. Um, and they were kind of thinking, probably against Florida. That would sure. be the that would be the test or Georgia because Georgia came early to Tuscaloosa, and that was a real. I think that gave us the confidence to kick on, really. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and 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 there were. I think as well, people will look back on that because it was a phenomenal season, and there were so many of their games on BT Sport. I really felt part of it. Like I would mm-hmm. record it, wake up, and then watch that. Then the next day. Um, and I couldn't believe how well Matt Jones did. Um, people forget, people are going to forget two things. Number one, Matt Jones came into the season, loads of question marks about him, and everyone talking about Bryce Young. Everybody talking about whether that freshman would take his position in, in, in you know, in, in the starting lineup, mm-hmm. which obviously yeah. didn't happen because Matt Jones just started to dial in bombs and just throw the ball. In an NFL way, really, like, you know, he would hit players in stride and that was the big thing. Like, he could hit Devontae Smith in stride and he would go and score because he didn't have to change his route or do anything different. Like, he, he really learned to sling the ball like a Heisman Trophy candidate, really. Yeah, and, yeah. and obviously, he's, he's gone on to be drafted, which doesn't often happen to Alabama quarterbacks. Um, the second thing was the defence were giving up a lot of points and people weren't happy with them over the first four or five games and they really had to pull it together. Um, and certainly after that old Miss game, I think people were like, well, okay, well, this is going to be a, a, you know, this could be a real issue, especially like 
we've got to play teams like Texas A&M and we've got, you know, and the, there are big question marks around. Um, we really seem to struggle with our coverage on tight ends. That seemed to be a consistent um, theme throughout the season, but we just managed to step it up at the right sort of time and get more and more pressure from a defensive line um, mm. on the quarterbacks, which then forced them into, and you saw that in the national championship game, uh, poor old Justin Fields just, just melted really. Like, yeah, yeah. Bless him. I mean, you know, um, I was generally worried about that going into the last game, given what he had done in the previous match against Clemson. Yeah. Um, just absolutely took them to pieces. Um, and we just, we just managed to get that pressure, you know, like. You know, it's key, isn't it? It's absolutely key. Yeah. yeah. It's really absolutely key. And, you know, Alabama are known for, you know, known for trench play, both sides of the line. Yeah. And it's, it's where the, it's all built off, isn't it? You know, Saban, he's running it like a professional team. It's called like yeah. a professional team. And it produces professional players at the end of the day, doesn't it? And, and I think they're taking that to the next level with their nutrition centre, um, which they've built and they've added on. Um, uh, it'll be interesting how much we miss Sarkeesy this year. I thought mm-hmm. he did a phenomenal job of play calling last year. Just really, really good, bold calls. Um, I mean, you know, I was just, I was looking at kind of who we've got back. There are some really good defensive backs coming back. Yeah. Jordan Battle. Um, well, obviously, on the offensive side, John Mechie. We've got Bryce Young at QB. Um, who, I, I don't know... The, there are still question marks there. We, we've, we've recruited top quarterbacks before and they haven't always worked out. But, sure. you know, if you look at the A-Day game that they have, which is like their offense, their first string versus second string, he, he had a very good game in that. And all of the reports coming out of Alabama is that he's very good. So, you know, we, we'll have to wait to see. Um, he's also got, you know, Slade Bolt. He's got uh, Billingsley at tight end. He's going to come in. He got a few carries. Um, and there are always, you know, running backs that are just, I mean, they've managed to, their recruiting at the moment seems to be out of control for both yeah. Yeah. this year, next year and the year after. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if that changes given the state of, you know, finances now in yeah. college athletics. Yeah, it's going to change the game. It's going to change the game a lot. And we, you know, we spoke about it fairly recently on the podcast that, it really might even things up because someone who wants to make a lot of money off Instagram or for a brand deal, they're not going to want to sit on the bench potentially and go and sit on the bench at Alabama and only play till their junior season. They might want to go somewhere else, start and start making money and building their brand, things like that. Just off that, off that sort of topic, just because we kind of brought it up, do you think that is going to negatively affect Alabama with this new rule change about the name, image and the, likeness? There are in-state tax rules that I believe need to be changed. And someone, I read an article the other day basically saying, well, they will get changed because everyone in the state of Alabama either follows them or Auburn, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's very rare that you go out of state for those two things. Um, So I imagine the legislature is probably drafting that legislation right now to say that there will be different tax benefits because I know that Florida at the moment have a much more lenient um, position on taxes. Um, And a lot of the players that were in that Alabama secondary come from middle or South Florida and from the, the high schools down there. Um, is it St. Aquinas? Is yeah, St. Thomas Aquinas. Thomas yeah. Aquinas yeah. is definitely somewhere that, you know, um, I know a number of our players have, have, have come from. Um, and, and I mean, I guess, the, and the other one, the, the other program that I looked to and I started thinking of immediately when I heard about this was Texas, which has been a mess for years, right? But 
Um, and I spent, it's funny, I spent, um, I had a friend called Braxton Wittenberg and I spent three weeks in Austin, Texas. So I know a little bit about the Longhorns and the culture down there, okay. but there's a lot of money there. Yeah. There's a lot of money there. Yeah. Um, and they could re- like, you know, their, their boosters and the people there could really set that program alight if they could just keep their hands off the coach and let him do his job. Let Steve Sarkeesy do his job. Then they've got a shot getting back into the top four again. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna sort of come on to the coaching. Because obviously, you mentioned it a moment ago, and it's something mm-hmm. I want to kind of mention. Obviously, see Steve, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, when I can get my knee, when we get my teeth in. Um, obviously, it was in the NFL. Um, came back to college football. You know, authored this amazing offensive season. Like you say, you mentioned a couple of uh, the players who you know, Devonta Smith, Matt Jones, obviously mentioned before, and. You know, now he is at the he is at the he is at Texas Longhorns now, and he's been replaced by Bill O'Brien. How do you think that's going to affect things? Because you've obviously got a big turnover of talent, which you have every year. You're Alabama, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but obviously, the turnover of coaches is going to affect things as well. How how do you feel about that? Obviously, is it seen as like a bit of a downgrade, or what, how do you feel about it? I think it will take a bit of time for him to get his feet under the table and do what he needs to do. But I mean, it's a bit cutthroat down there, isn't it? Like mm. if he doesn't get it right he might get some grace next season season after it's going to be do or die yeah um and he's got you know there are, there's there's still a lot of talent um um you know on the offensive side of the football and i mean the big thing i think is losing some of those you know people like alex leatherwood like just you know it was, I mean, well, they, they, they won the offensive line award last year, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. The, the more um, award, which didn't surprise me at all because they just protected Matt Jones and created yeah. enormous holes for Najee Harris that when he wasn't hurdling over people, um, <laughs> you know, and it's really, I think it's really hard to say until, until we come up against, well, I mean, well, first game, right? I mean, that's Miami, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll find out a lot about the character of this, this this team in that. But I think Alabama haven't lost that initial opening game now for a significant amount of time. In fact, I can't remember the last time they did lose the opening game of the season. It seems to have become this big, you know, this this, this huge sort of thing. You know, playing like Wisconsin and Penn State and uh, Texas and various other sides. Um so I mean, you know, yeah. Um, who do, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I suppose I'm slightly more, um, I'm slightly more uh, like excited about some of the, uh, some of the defensive players okay. um, out there. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know um, who's a good example of that. Um, I mean, I, I think I think one of the key things that we need to do is, and, and this is really a, a, a big thing. I mean, I, like Jordan Battle would be one of my one of one of the key people that I think is it can really step up this year. Um, it, it Patrick Sertan and, and replacing him a cornerback um, it is going to be a big thing. Um, you know, uh, like Malachi Moore, mm-hmm. Brian Branch. We've got all these guys who, who have got game time last year in big situations, but it's how they're going to gel as a unit and who's going to step into that 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 role. Um, and, and also, you know, we've got, 
I, I th- you know, when you look at the recruiting and who we've recruited at running back, I think Brian Robinson's probably going to get the nod to start. I would have thought so. I mean, yeah. he he was unbelievable when he came on when Najee Harris was tied last season, right? I mm-hmm. mean, I think he finished two of the games with with you know over a hundred yards and receptions and touchdowns. Um, so it will be really interesting to see how he does that. I mean, John Mechie's the standout receiver for me. Yeah, probably. I would say so. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and then you know you've just you know. Trayshawn Holden, you've got, you know, Christian Leary, all these freshmen that have come in and it's, you know, um, James Bell who played really well in uh, Slade Bolden. Um, there's, yeah, you know, uh, Jaheel Billingsley as the, as the new tight end. I think we saw him as well in different games and he came on and made an impact in those games that he did play. What I'd be worried about if I was at other SEC teams is how many of those players had First team experience in pressured games, like yeah, every game sure. last year, built in pressure, built in pressure, built in pressure. But they were coming out in a semi final against Notre Dame. They were coming out in the final against um, Ohio State, and he was able to switch those players in and out. Um, and they That's were able to seamless. get the job done. Yeah, very yeah. yeah. seamless. Um, you know, so uh, I mean, Dylan Moses as well has gone right, and I mean, he he was kind of like the the person who was hyped up the most going into last season, and did his job in the middle, very quietly went about it, smacking people around. Um, so he might be someone that we're going to need to really focus on trying to um, shore up because the season before when he did get injured, I mean, it all went to pot. Um, yeah. And we, we gave up huge numbers um, of, of offensive yards, both on the ground. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, like you say, the defence was a little bit of a problem. Um, I guess it's one of those things, isn't it? Like, you know, you're going to get lost turnover all the time. Um, and let's kind of just take a step back into last season's team a little bit. Obviously, we've got yeah. a whole bunch of people drafted, Ten, uh, sorry, three in the top 10, yeah. six in the first round, Devonta Smith on the Heisman. Big names that were dominating college football. Obviously, there's the sort of uh, the wide receiver sort of picture that goes around with the four wide receivers from a couple of years ago, all first rounders. Yeah. You know, it's talk, talk to me about these players that were playing on this team last year that went unbeaten and won the national championship. Who is going to be a huge success? And is there going to be anyone take your sort of role tinted spectacles off? Is there anyone that's going to kind of flop a little bit? Or who's going to be a huge, huge success? Because obviously we've seen some question marks over Devonta Smith because of his size and things like that. Do you think that's going to matter, for example? Or how do you kind of feel about these guys going to the NFL? I think if you watch Devonta Smith last year, I find it... I just He's such a good route runner. Yeah. He's so precise with his footwork and he's stronger than he looked like. He he packs a punch, right? I mean, he got in that... Oh, what game was it? Um, you know, in the season where we lost to LSU by four in Tuscaloosa, you know, in that game, he's getting smacked around by people three times his size and he's just bouncing up and just getting on with it. And that's before he was really had the, you know... People were talking probably at the time talking about like Josh Jacobs and, and, and um, uh, you know, two is probably still throwing the ball around to you know, I don't think I'm, I think Amara Cooper had left by then, but I, I think yeah, there's a lot of question marks around Devontae Smith. But I just, if you watched him last year, his vertical jump that jump for the touchdown against LSU is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really determined individual. I really hope he goes on and does it. 
Najee Harris, there was so, I couldn't believe some of the scouting reports I was reading. Oh, he's a downhill runner. He's a bit slow. I'm like, yeah, but if he gets four steps and gets going, he will bounce off people. He will rotate. Like, you try and stop him. He's going to be, well, I guess people said the same thing about Derrick Henry a little bit, right? And it took Derrick Henry four or five seasons to really get rolling in the pros. And you might see a similar kind of thing. But his passing out the catch field and his attitude where he could have declared for the draft a year early, as could Smith, as could have a number of those players, but they went, no, 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 we want to go and win the national championship and finish what we started here. When you have players that have a mentality like that, I think it sets you up really well to get into the pros and take those knockbacks and be like, well, I'm just going to keep working on it. And I think Najee Harris is one of those individuals. Um, And I think Devontae Smith is one of those individuals. As much as I love Mac Jones, quarterbacks and, you know, Alabama it's a different ballgame, isn't that? It's a different ballgame because you don't have the protection and you don't have the weapons, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden, as, as Tua found out a little bit last year, I mean, I still thought, think he had a solid, you know, a solid start to his life in the NFL. He didn't set the world alight, but I think Miami probably needs to adapt their playbook a little bit for a left-hander. I mean, that's a personal opinion. I don't know. But, um, you know, he's going to New England... If, do I see him as the long-term successor there? Uh, uh, yeah, He's I been mean, the first-round pick on him, right? You should be. Exactly. That's what you'd think. Um, and, I, and I just, I hope, he, I hope he does go there, but he would be the one person that I have a number of question marks about. Okay. Um, the other person is the defensive tackle, Christian Barmore. Uh-huh. Yeah. He really turned it on for like the last four games. Um, and his stock that's money making season, up, that's why, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But earlier on in the season, I think there were a few question marks, and certainly he wasn't getting the sorts of pressure in those other games that, like, against you know, all right, we you know, we smashed Arkansas, but he wasn't getting that pressure against Ole Miss, he wasn't getting that pressure as much against Florida. Um and I, I, I don't know. Again, I hope I'm wrong, but, you know, as an interior lineman, he was someone who I thought just excelled towards the end of the season, exactly what probably Nick Saban wanted. But it felt to me like somebody said, you need to pull your finger out and step up a bit here. And when he did, everyone was like, wow, this guy's really good. And so, you know, that, that raised his stop. So he would be someone that maybe unfairly I would, I would throw out there um, as being someone who may underachieve um, the other person who who I loved was Patrick Sertan, the second. I like sure. the second in there because it's on his shirt. Um, but I think, I mean, he was just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal, and uh-huh. I think yeah. that he would do a great job in the pros. Yeah, I mean, the, the guy that I guess is being talked about a little bit as someone who's coming into a bit of a tough situation, guy you mentioned, obviously Nadja Harris, but that's because of the other things around him. He's got an aging quarterback who doesn't move around a great deal. They've basically got rid of the whole offensive line. And, you know, he's got to do it all for himself, I guess, um, around a team that's, you know, on the bit of a downturn, I think, in my opinion, anyway. But, but I, I, Absolutely. And, but he is at a place where, you know, they would look to build the running back position. Yes. And if they've got someone who they feel they can rely on next season in adversity, they might go out and take a couple of, you know, offensive linemen in the yeah. next draft and yeah. be like, well, we're going to try and build this around 
someone like you know some around someone like that mm-hmm. um so i mean yeah it's 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 an interesting one i don't yeah i and and i really hope he does well because there have been some fantastic stories about you know um he seems like a great guy and things like that exactly and, yeah. right um I, mean, I haven't even mentioned Jalen Waddle. I mean, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's so quick. Let me. But then me... I think I think back, and he's the kind of. Oh, sorry, Kevin. You carry on. No, I was just going to compare him to somebody like John Ross at the okay. Bengals. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think he might have a little bit more about him in terms of a step, but he had that injury, and it just worries me. Yeah. Sorry, there's a little bit of a. I think there's a bit of a funny connection there. I think you dropped out for a second just as I was oh, um, trying to come in, but don't worry about it. Well, I'll do it out. Um, what I was going to jump in with was you mentioned obviously Jalen Waddle. We've been talking a little bit wide receivers. I just want to give you a quick question. Obviously, in the past uh, 10 years or so, guys who have kind of come in into their own in the NFL, um, you know, in the past couple of years, and then also versus Alabama receivers who are now seasoned NFL wide receivers. So, how does this? this couple of years with Alabama wide receivers, you know, Ruggs, Waddle, Smith and Judy compare with the likes of Amari Cooper and uh, Julio Jones, who've obviously, you know, been in the NFL for quite a while now. Do you think we'll see that ceiling for any of these four guys? Because obviously these are two of the best wide receivers in the NFL that have come from that school. Yeah, that's a a really good question. Um, I'd, I'd like to say yes, but I like Judo Jones, obviously his physicality, mm, his special, and again right? his route running, you know. But he's he's a special individual. Um, I mean, I, I I really hope Devontae Smith can become a similar kind of impact player as Amari Cooper. Uh-huh. Um, I don't see why not, but you just you know, uh, I mean. Cooper obviously went to the Raiders, didn't he? And began to make began to make a bit of a, a name for himself. And now he's gone to, you know, now he's in Dallas where they throw the ball all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. Um, be, it'll be interesting to see what what, what they what, what what you know what they do with him. Um, yeah, I, I I I genuinely don't know to be honest. And and I think it's the same with Matt Jones. Like I just. It maybe feels to me a little bit that same air of AJ McCarroll that obviously went a lot higher. I mean, uh-huh. yeah, you know, and people obviously really rate him, but I mean, I mean, especially for him to go to, uh, you know, to New England and the relationship that Saban has um, with Belichick, mm. like yeah, they'd sure. have been on the phone and Belichick would have been like, well, do you think this kid's the real deal? And Saban would have... He's only <laughs> going to got a positive reference, right? Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. And I think... There were so many rece- there were so many flashy quarterbacks in this year's draft, um, and people that fell out of contention like Trask. I mean, who I still think is a very good QB. Actually, I think people have been a bit harsh on him. I think he's he's, he's a good footballer. Um, but I, you know, yeah, I, you know, not quite not quite ready to go there with that question. I guess then. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I know. I don't know. I'm just going to sit on the fence. I think Devontae Smith will surprise people. I'll okay. say that. That's interesting. That's interesting, especially because it has been really high profile, hasn't it? The whole, you know, size and and uh, you know his weight and things like that pre-draft and whatnot. So yeah, one to watch for sure. And I'm sure you know everyone will be kind of holding on to their receipts either way, uh, whichever sort of side of the fence they they run with with Devonta Smith, either pre-draft or even now. 
Let's um let's turn our attentions towards next year then. Obviously, as you mentioned yep. before, you kind of ran through, gave us a you know a lot of names from the rosters, quite a lot of return returning players, but also quite a lot of young talent. What do you think next season holds for this program? Um, you know, how many? I guess we can equate it with about Alabama. We can sort of say how many games you'll lose. I think this is interesting because also, I mean, uh, they're um, they're going to Florida as well, um, which is one of their um, out of conference teams. So the the, the the games obviously that I'm flagging as being, you know, like a, a big. Miami, yeah, sure. Always, although I think that really we should we should have the talent to to, to beat those guys. Florida is going to be huge. Um, I think the game against, I mean, Tennessee might be getting their act together a bit more next year. I don't know. Um, LSU won't be as bad as they were last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've got those guys. Um, and Arkansas, um, we did we talked a little bit before. Um, about them becoming a, a, a tougher test, but I've got to be honest. In like, I don't know if I can really see them losing more than one game out of that okay. lot. And I think that that's is pretty maybe much maybe a, a, a Florida, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, and I would say that. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see who comes out of the other. I mean, I think that Oklahoma are going to have a big year. I think Spencer Rattler's ready to step yeah. up and, yeah, for sure. and and live up to that expectation. He showed for someone so young last year in some of those big games, like some huge, huge learning curve. Um, so, yeah, that I know. I mean, obviously, you know, Clemson will be there or thereabouts. Um, and, yeah, I, I'd, uh, yeah for, I mean, you know, Florida will be bouncing back. So, so I, I mean, I think, yeah, um, what would that make them like? 10 and 1, I think. Maybe? In the regular season, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, we had Tristan on who was a Clemson, he was Clemson, he is a Clemson fan, sorry. Yeah. Sense. And I kind of asked him the same similar question I'll ask you is, does Alabama's season begin at the postseason? And where's the kind of expectation like at the moment? Is not winning a national championship make it a bad season at the moment? Or is it the bar a little bit lower than that? It's a great question. I think that because of the tradition down there and the history of the football uh, rivalries in the SEC, I think that I think it starts with games like going to Ole Miss, going to Oxford. Um, to the green and the tradition of that and it being an, a football weekend um, in Oxford against Alabama. I think it starts with, you know, you know, welcoming LSU to Tuscaloosa and that being one of those big homecoming weekends. Quite often Alabama have their homecoming against, you know, a, a team, well, they prefer to have it against a team that they're going to beat, but they do like that big show occasion. And it looks to me like that's probably going to be their homecoming game this year. Um, or it might be against NM State. I'm not sure, but it's likely to be one of those two, perhaps. Um, and I think that obviously, and obviously the Iron Bowl. Um, I think one of Nick Saban's famous quote is, "You know, we we work 365 days a year to beat the other team in Alabama." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and that's a, that cannot be understated with the importance of that game. And I think one of the things that killed off, um, uh, you know, um, Mike Shuler was was the fact that I think he lost four years on a, in a row to, to Auburn and they were like, you just can't have this. And then they brought yeah. Nick Saban and the rest is history, if you like. So I don't think it does so much with us. And I think that also the fact that we always have a show game at the beginning of the season 
you know, either I think this this year it's going to be in Atlanta, right? I think that's right against Miami. I, let me. Uh, I believe that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. But usually it's in Texas, right? Since it's in our um in 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 the uh, the Cowboys Stadium, and that's always a massive show game against someone huge. So I don't think that's necessarily true. And I mean, you know, not that the ACC isn't, but like every team in the SEC can turn you over if you if you switch off. Mm-hmm. And we almost saw that last year in the old Miss game. Sure, yeah. Um, so I think no, I think I think the traditions are are there, and I think if you lose more than one game, people think you've had a bad season. Yeah, that's kind of the the kind of expectation now, isn't it? Obviously, yeah. and um, then it's all poured over, and I'm sure the local press and things like that even more so, even more so in, in terms of intensity and things like that. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, do you think they can re- they can repeat or? You know, is it a bit too young of a team with a young quarterback, or yeah, how do you kind uh, of feel? I think I think it's a very, I think it's a very big ask of Bryce Young, um, but you know, never say never. Um, and really, it will be about you know how can we knit our defensive line together to a point. I mean, like, and the other thing as well is it's interesting. Nick Saban said this last year. It's gone are the days where you can consistently shut teams out. Like you're going to get into those games where they just become free scoring, like we did against Florida, like we did against, um, you know, like we did against um, like Ole Miss, Miss like where it gets blown open and you've just got to have the receivers and the weapons to do that. And that's a little bit like what the LSU team was like the year that they won it with Joe Burrow, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. it was, could Clemson score at the same rate because LSU are going to put 40 plus points on you, right? Yeah. So for me, maybe that's not as important anymore. Like you've got those key players that can just make that clutch play in the backfield. And I think Alabama have got that in the defensive backs next year and they've got that experience. So it'll be really interesting to see when they go, they switch from man to zone, if they can still keep those, um, you know, those, um, those matchups tight enough against teams that like to throw the ball. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be really interesting, but, but I think I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, given the fact that Bryce Young won't have played in a, a championship game or in the playoffs, and it, it, I think it would be a big ask for, for a sophomore to go and do that. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that one. I think there's a little bit too much roster turnover. I don't think there's yeah. enough. Uh, this, is, this is kind of crazy to say about an Alabama team, but I think it lacks a little bit of star power. Certainly, you know? it's, certainly a running back. The running back's crowded at the moment, and we're not, we, you know, like I said to you, um, Brian Robinson Jr. is great and he did good things last year but you know we had that one-two punch with him and Harris last year which worked brilliantly mm-hmm. um, and yeah. we, we don't have the caliber I mean like you know three players nominated for the Heisman and if Jamie Waddle <laughs> had stayed fit you know God knows what would it I mean you know yeah, uh, yeah it's a different game isn't it yeah so maybe let's just turn our attentions um, off the football field for a second and start to close this out. Maybe you're in a really good position to kind of talk about this because you've been there and you've been at the school. This might have changed, obviously, in the time that you've spent away. But just for anyone kind of listening to this, obviously trying to get into college football, that's kind of what we're trying to do with this series. Um, yeah. Obviously, there's teams, uh, sorry, there's people that might not have a team, things like that. Yeah. First of all, a couple of things just to close this out. Is there any traditions linked to the school or the team that listeners should know about, about the football team? Well, they've got they they do the walk of champions, which um, is from the buses 
through the crowd uh, to the uh, to the stadium, which is something that uh, that that they've always done. Um, it's not a particularly long walk; it's probably about what fifty or sixty yards. But you, you know, they do drop off and they do that, um, and that's you know that that was one of the, the big traditions that they always um, they always had, and they and they still they they continue to do it. I think maybe they probably didn't last year because of coronavirus, but that so, that's yeah. one of one yeah. of the big traditions. Um, as is as is the homecoming tradition of you know all the sorority girls being picked up by their fraternity dates and, and taken to the game um, in suit and tie and, and dressed up basically to the nines um, whatever game that sits on it's usually um, after two road games I, I don't know if people are aware of that tradition but that that's something that that always happens um, yeah and like it was LSU um, the, the, the I think the year that we were there um but but yeah it was you know th- those are two of the the key traditions um as well as basically like going to um this is bar called cheap shots that people always seem to end up in after <laughs> football matches and i i certainly ended up in there quite a few times um with like yeah, yeah and they're always random football players hanging around in there um uh, so yeah you know and 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 if you are ever in tuscaloosa for for a crimson tide football game you you need to book your restaurants ahead of time and they're going to charge you like a hundred pounds, like a hundred dollars a cover. Like you can't get a table unless you're going to spend above that because there are so many boosters in town and the bigger the game, oh, the, okay. the more that price goes up. So it's, it's really, um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting place. Um, and, and I think the, the city, you know, Tuscaloosa is big anyway. It must be, when I was there, it was 660,000 people. It must now be closer to a million. I would have thought. And, um, you know, it, it, it gets another 150,000 people when Alabama go there and they, you know, everyone parks their RVs everywhere. Yeah. Um, and if you're, if you're interested in the, in the culture of that, there's a book called Ramajama Yellow Hammer, which is about somebody buying an RV and following the university of Alabama in the 1909 season when they had Sean Alexander, who, okay. um, yeah, when they, there's a famous game, they beat Florida in Florida and there's him like kneeling down with the ball in his arm. Um, it's an iconic picture, but it's from that season. And that's really interesting. And that, that tells you a lot about like the tailgate culture there, which is massive. And, you know, people turning up on the Monday for the game on the following Saturday and they spend all week in their RV there, you know, like hanging out and, and you know, they build up these communities. So, so that those would be the traditions surrounded with, with, with uh, football at Alabama. That's it, isn't it? It's the football is the lifeblood of the, the town and the, the, the area, I guess, isn't it? Definitely. And then the, the sort of second uh, kind of closing question, I guess, was, and I guess this is kind of an easy sell, but obviously, like I say, going back, college football fans who might not really have a team, sell following Alabama to people who do not have a team. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, if you like drama and, and last-minute carnage in big games like Alabama are just out there and I can think of several moments uh, you know if you want to go and look some of those up um, the kick six against Auburn is one of the most phenomenal moments of, of, of sporting history for anyone it, go and YouTube that um, with, where a field goal gets caught and then returned 108 yards for Auburn to beat Alabama uh, AJ McCarron's last game for us um, and sealed them the division title uh, but also onside kick in a national championship game like there is always thrills and spills um, and you're always likely to see 10 plus 
you know wins <laughs> so <laughs> so uh yeah and 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 if you've got a, a college fantasy team it gives you a really good inside track on actually you know who you could potentially draft in the uh in the in the coming year yeah absolutely absolutely well there you have it obviously it's not, it's not a tough sell to uh to sell people to no, follow it, alabama no, no, no. um you know maybe like back in the day when you were there obviously it might have been a tougher sell but you know, you've fallen on <laughs> fallen on good times uh there for sure uh following the crimson tide so yeah, thank you for coming on, my friend. Um, no it's great to have you. It's been absolutely it, fantastic yeah, to have you. Um, we will stay in touch and we'll get you back on to talk about Alabama. Maybe when they win another national championship, in <laughs> or, or when they, or when they go five and five, and you're like, what went wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for um, sure. I'm sure that's not going to be not going to be happening anytime soon, as you mentioned. Uh, not not now. Right that Saban, not now, not now. He's extended his contract. He's like seventy eight or something. <laughs> Blimey. Yeah, he'll probably like die on the touchline or something like that. Definitely, definitely. Uh, definitely. Yeah, but anyway, less of that, I guess. Unfortunately. <laughs> I said that but anyway, anyway never mind but no thank you for coming on and then yeah no problem. Cheers, catch after the break and we will be with you with another team and another fan giving you their say so yeah catch us then hello okay yeah so we're back uh, with one of our your team you'll say college editions this time we're going to be talking about Iowa State with Ashley Lewis I'm doing good Lee thank you for having me no not a problem at all it's quite interesting to get you on actually because you don't hear of many Iowa State fans in the U- in the UK so um, we'll get into that a little bit um, about you know how you came to support ISU and uh, you'll get into you know the it's a it's a good program so you know it's coming up isn't it in the at the moment so you know we're sure we've got a lot of positivity to kind of talk about at the moment um, but first of all Ash just tell us a bit about yourself you know who you are where you're from uh, you know how you got into college football and, and you know finish off with you know how you ended up uh, following Iowa State. So yeah I'm from Pretoria, South Wales I'm 22 years old and I originally got into college football because of the NFL, as most people do. Yeah, sure. I started watching that first. And then I think one day I was just browsing through YouTube and I actually saw a Johnny Manziel highlight reel, which kind of opened up ideas to me about college football. And I thought, oh, I'd get involved with this. And I actually had some family living in America and still do at the time who were Penn State alumni. Okay. And I had the family friend over here that had been to Penn State. So originally I started out supporting Penn State and supported them for many years until recently when as part of my American studies degree I was offered the opportunity to go abroad for a year and study and the university I ended up choosing was Iowa State University which means now I'm a diehard Cyclones fan and you know I still have a soft spot for Penn State but the Cyclones are definitely my main team now and will be for the foreseeable future. Awesome no that's really really cool I think it's one thing now that in the modern day where it is so well, not, not commonplace, that's not the right word, but it's becoming more commonplace to be able to transfer and do, like you say, a little bit of time abroad. I think it's becoming something that's opening people's eyes to America and other places in the world. So, yeah, it's awesome that you were involved in that sort of thing. Just for people who obviously haven't been to Iowa, tell us what it is like on that Iowa State campus and what Iowa is like in general, because it's not the sort of typical sort of, I mean, I said to, to you know, before we kind of recorded that it's not often the case that we get Iowa State fans in the UK and it's quite unusual. So yeah, tell us a little bit about like, the area and things like that, what the campus is like and, and the culture on campus, I guess, as well. Yeah, so when I originally landed in Iowa, in the capital of Des Moines, I remember driving out on the bus there and I thought, what have I got myself into? There was just cornfields everywhere. <laughs> couldn't see any tall structures. Starting to get a bit worried. And then all of a sudden you see the sign for Iowa State University and you can still see nothing but cornfields. <laughs> and then slowly but surely you get into the town and then you start seeing things like, oh, there's Jack Trice Stadium, there's the basketball arena, oh, there's the big campus, the Campanile, which is a famous clock tower on campus. And all of a sudden you feel like you're in the middle of a university. 
Mm. The town itself is it's not that big. It's not uh, compared to any other university, uh, American city. It's not a big city. It's only about 60,000 inhabitants and 40,000 of them are college students. So it's a very college-driven town, very intimate relationship with the town itself. You know, you feel quite cut off from the rest of the world. But that's what I was looking for from my experience. I'm not someone who looks for a big city. I quite like somewhere a bit out of the ordinary. And, you know, it was a great atmosphere because of how many people there were university students. So yeah, great atmosphere on campus, really intimate. Sports really do mean a lot to people out there. It's why the town, you know, creates jobs in the towns. It, it, yeah, it's everything to the town, really. It's everything mm. to Iowa. Awesome. And what what is its aims, isn't it, the town? What is, what is it? It's obviously, like you say, not very big. What is the kind of nearest, like, biggest town to it that you might have been able to go to? And how far away is that? How, how cut off are we thinking and looking at? Well, Ames is probably one of the biggest towns in Iowa anyway. Oh, really? Right, okay. I don't think I'm wrong in saying that. But, you know, it's bigger than any of the neighbouring towns. The closest thing you'd have to a city or a big town is Des Moines, the capital. Right. And that's only about 200,000 people in population. You know, that's smaller than Swansea, where I just live outside of. So it's quite different you know it's not <laughs> not a lot of big things going on around the town so like I said though I was looking for that and you know I don't regret it one bit so the uh, Moines probably the biggest or closest to what we'd call traditional city or town sure uh, apart from that not much Iowa City <laughs> about an hour and a half away and that's where the University of Iowa is located yeah our big rivals so yeah that, they're probably the two nearest ones and the two biggest cities around really Okay, cool. And like less of the Hawkeyes, the better, I guess, on this podcast for now. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so let's um, let's get into the football then, and let's talk about uh, last year, because obviously Iowa State had a really good year last year. You know, they got into the Fiesta Bowl, won that. Unfortunately, lost the Big Ten, uh, the Big Twelve Championship, should I say? Sorry, and had a decent overall record. So not a bad year. But how was your assessment? Obviously, that's just me looking from the outside looking in. How is how did it kind of measure up as as your in your expectations as a fan? I guess. Well, it, it was our best season ever, to be mm. frank with you. I know for a lot of people who support other teams, 9-3 and three may be a bit of a disappointment, but you know, with a small school, I haven't got much of a football tradition. Mm. Historically, we've been more of a basketball school until recently, and now we are taking on the football school mantra. And you know, it was a great season for us. You know, it was really disappointing to lose to Louisiana at the gate. And quite frankly, when we lost that game, I was pretty worried for us because... You know, we had TCU next, then Oklahoma, mm-hmm. looking, looking like we could go for an 0-3 start. Because TCU were no slouches, especially away oh. from home. Yeah. We managed to slip by them and then pull off an upset at home against Oklahoma with a last-second interception. And then our season rolled from there. Oh, we had a bit of a hiccup against Oklahoma State, but playing them on the road and losing is no, you know, is no embarrassment. You know, we lost by a touchdown, maybe a bit closer than it actually was, to be honest. But we were happy to move on from there and then... We just had to win out the rest of the way. And we beat Texas in Austin. You know, they missed the last second, second field goal. And then we took care of a, of a bunch of other teams like West Virginia and Kansas State mm. and beat them comfortably by about 45 to nothing on times. I, I think that was 45 to nothing against uh, Kansas State and then a similar score against West Virginia. So we had a, a bunch of impressive wins on the resume, got into the Big 12 Championship. And as much as it was disappointing to lose, I think they were the better team on the day and we had a number of costly interceptions. And it was really disappointing to lose because it felt like this was the culmination of all the years under Matt Campbell recruiting for Iowa State and mm. building towards you know that chance to win and play for a Big 12 title, which 
we haven't won a conference title since 1912, I think it was, or so, or 1920. I can't remember which one it is. I know that's sure. a big, but it's a long been, time ago. <laughs> a long time ago, put it that way. But thankfully, now with the new rule that when students come back for another year and play for another year because of COVID, we've managed to keep so many players. We've returned 20 out of 22 starters in offense and defense. We've really got a good chance again this year, but this really is the last chance to sure. win a Big 12 title for some years, it feels like. And yeah, we rounded up the year with a victory over Oregon. It's a bit of a depleted Oregon, a bit of a, I don't want to say underwhelming team because, you know, they, they won the Pac-12, even if it was because they had to replace Washington in mm. the Pac-12 championship game because of COVID. But Oregon's a big programme. Oregon's been a national title contender for years. So to beat a programme like that meant a lot to us personally, even if it was, you know, not quite the caliber of team they've had in the past. So for us, it was a great year, great to win a New Year's Six Bowl. It was, you know, <laughs> a dream for lots of Iowa State fans. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's, it's like you were saying, it's, it's that pinnacle, isn't it? And it, like you say, hopefully you'll be kind of coming around to that a little bit more in the next 12 months and kind of maybe going that one step further, as you mentioned. So, yeah, we'll get, we'll get into kind of looking ahead next year. Uh, to next year shortly. But I just want to kind of um, look at the kind of players that were kind of produced by the programme in the last 12 months. Um, you know, we didn't have too many players drafted from Iowa State in the last draft. Um, maybe any Vikings fans, I know we've got a few that listen. Um, you got, I'm probably going to butcher this name now, but Kane Nwangu? Kenny Nwangu. Come on, okay, kind of got it there. I'm saying that right myself. I know it's Kenny. <laughs> okay. Kenny Nwangu. That's okay. pretty close in a way. So, I'll, yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that. Tell me about him and tell the Vikings fans who've got him up. They got him in the fourth round. And I, I'm going to guess that he was probably Brees Hall's kind of uh, change of pace back and things like that. Yeah, he came in sometimes on third downs, but we primarily used him as a kick return specialist. Okay. Was on, on his, well, I say his pro, yeah, it was his pro day actually that he ran a 4 2 9 40. So he's got speed for days. Speed, yeah. <laughs> and that really suits his you know, skill set being a kick returner. I was fairly surprised when he came off the board that early. I thought he'd be more of a, six or seven thrown picks purely because they were going to use him as a kick return specialist. Oh. So, you know, a bit surprised, but very happy for him as well. But he can definitely develop into someone that, you know, can be an every down back because he showed glimpses of that when he did have playing time. You know, he broke a couple of long runs. He's a one cut back with, as I said, speed for days. Sure. So Viking fans, you've got a lot of raw talent there that you can develop. I think it's just going to be time you know, until he develops into that every down back though, with a complete skill set, you know, running routes out of the backfield, you know, being a workhorse back. But yeah, definitely a lot of talent there. So one to watch from your point of view then? Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's one of those things, isn't it, where we think I was actually a bit surprised as well. I was obviously having a little bit of research, obviously, before I kind of got together with you um, and looking at back at the, you know, the players that have been drafted and things like that. I was actually surprised that it was only one player actually um, from yourself. Um, that went to the draft this year and I was surprised it was a bit fourth round because it wasn't even our draft scouting guide that we put together last year so um, yeah I was a bit surprised to, to see his name uh, so, so high as you mentioned but you know it sounds like he's got the skill set to make a difference in the kicking game and like you say maybe develop into something uh, long term going to be a job to displace Dallas and Cup though I guess as the as yeah. the lead back in, in Minnesota but you know yeah. um, you know, stranger things have happened I guess uh, just have a few injuries every now and then does Dalvin Cook but you know, I want to kind of move on to the main man um, in terms of the coaching staff, obviously Matt Campbell. And I want to always make a little segment on these podcasts to kind of talk about the coaching staff and how well-led the programme is. Obviously, Matt Campbell has changed that programme around, doesn't he, really? He's like the main man. Just talk about him and talk about what he means to this programme and, you know, how that's going to affect the future with him in charge. Yeah, so 
I only started following Iowa State about the end of 2018, early 2019, when I knew that I'd be going there for university for my time abroad. Sure. But from what I know, you know, when he came in, I think it was 2015 or 16 was his first year. You know, it was a slow start. You know, you haven't got time to recruit then. You know, yeah. It's a year or two to build a recruiting class. But he's definitely changed the culture in Ames, Iowa. You know, Brees Hall famously stated after we beat Texas, five-star culture beats five-star talent. And that's been, you know, our rallying cry. The guys that are you know, at Iowa State, they're not five-star talents. There's very few four-stars on campus. Mm. But he's developed them into, you know, five-star caliber players. You know, you've got the likes of Brees himself. You've got Brock Purdy, who's a three-star quarterback that, you know, didn't have a great deal of offers until his senior year. Charlie Kohler, I think, only had one FBS off, off Army, maybe. And now he's got a chance of being the first tight end taken in next year's draft. So he's really, really good at developing talent and developing a culture of pride and hard work in Ames, Iowa. And he means everything to the programme because we are really worried about losing him because every team seems to want him. <laughs> he was linked with Tennessee. He was linked with Florida State. The Lions offered him an interview, but he declined that as far as I'm aware. So there's, you know, there's teams looking to hire him. So... Hopefully we can keep him on board. I know he signed a big extension to his contract. Yeah. But you know, they don't necessarily mean that much really. If a big team comes knocking, you know, particularly a big NFL team, they're gonna be willing to buy him out of that contract. So, you know, we'll cross our fingers and just forget about it until it's silly season with all these rumors again. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously the, that's all died down now, and obviously that's gonna be him wrapped up for another year, but do you think realistically the I know I was going to come on to the contract? Obviously, it's a really long contract and a lot of you know it's heavy compensation that he's going to receive if he you know sees that out or even just goes through a few years of it. But do you think that's just kind of offering Iowa State a bit of protection you know from the big dogs who come in for him, or do you think there's a chance that he might see that out? How do you actually see it going? Because obviously he's a wanted man, and you know, like say if Iowa State are on for another big year this year, then you know how how can you kind of resist that offer? I guess. Yeah, so I'm going to be biased here and say he's going to see it out. <laughs> but I think he may offer a, a bit of protection, you know. But realistically, I do think he has a good chance of staying for a couple of years, you know. Of, you know, once this recruiting class goes, I think he'll either go next year or he'll stay for a few years and try and rebuild it, you know, and create a legacy for himself. Because, you know, that's a, that's the thing with college football. Lots of coaches like to stay even in small towns and build a legacy. Mm. And he really has a blank canvas to do that at Iowa State because we haven't had a great deal of success before he came here, we had a couple of years in the early 2000s with Seneca Wallace running around and making plays. But, you know, apart from that, we haven't really had a great deal of success. So I think he has a really good opportunity to make a legacy in this town and in the, in the state of Iowa for that, for that fact. So he's, he's almost like almost being given freedom in that, in that sense because his success that he's had over the past few years building this program up is going to allow him a little bit of time if, like you say, if it's time to start again after this year, as you mentioned, and he's going to get time to do that, isn't he? He's not going to be kind of bombed out after another poor season if that is the case. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think he'll have a reason to stay as well. He's, he's managed to recruit some really big pieces for when this class leaves. He's got four-star quarterback, Hunter Deckers, who's a low passing leader in Iowa, high school history. You know, I think Iowa, Iowa State's only four-star quarterback they've ever had. Mm. Yeah, they've got pieces coming in that they can build around. And every year the talent seems to get better. So he has a really good reason to stick around. Plus, he runs that town. It's, it's Matt Campbell's town. He's the hero in that town. You know, he can go anywhere and have a drink brought, bought for him. Yeah. So he has a lot of reasons to stay. But, you know, 
I'm very biased as an Iowa State fan. I, you know, of course, like I say, he doesn't want to work for the Dallas Cowboys if that offer, offer <laughs> or something like that. So, you know, I haven't got a clue. And I know that's, you know, riding the fence a bit, but it's so up in the air. You never know what's going on behind you know, closed doors. So I'll just cross my fingers. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what a lot of college football fans do, isn't it? Because obviously there is only a certain small number of people and coaches that, Kind of have it made so well. I mean, we've we've talked to a Clemson fan, we've talked to an LSU fan so far in the series, and you know, Coach Orgeron and uh, Dabo Sweeney are pretty much entrenched in their positions because there's no better job for them in terms of like going to the NFL. You know, why would they? Because they win it every single year. I guess if Matt Campbell can work himself into that position, you know, in the Big Twelve, um, you know, you've beaten Texas last year. There's there's Oklahoma who kind of have their entrenched guy in Lincoln Riley. So you know, it can be done. It can be done for sure. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, let's hope he does that. Let's know. Let's hope he's uh, fighting with Lincoln Riley for the Big 12 title for many years to come. You know, and I'm a big fan of Lincoln Riley. As a quarterback myself who's played for other teams, you know, I really admire his system Mm. on offence. Unless we're playing them, then I absolutely hate them. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I hope that's a rivalry that does, you know, create a legacy in the years to come. Yeah, definitely. And like you say, you know, with the with the pieces that you're bringing in and, you know, we're going to just move to talking about this year's talent at the moment. So, you know, and hopefully we know a ding dong battle a couple of times next year, because, you know, as we'll kind of come on to shortly that, you know, a lot of the experts have Iowa State as the best team or the second best team in the Big 12. So, you know, looks like it's going to be a rivalry for at least next year to come as it is. But yeah, like I say, let's move on to like the star players. Um, you've kind of mentioned the three guys that I wanted to touch upon, you know, Brees Hall, Brock Purdy, Charlie Kolar. You know, these are going to be the backbone of your team, aren't they, uh, moving forward? I guess just for people who have been living under a rock and haven't seen these players, just tell us a little bit more about these guys and maybe you know any sort of under-the-radar players that Iowa State might have who might be wowing people in a few months' time when the college football season begins. Yeah, so all three of the guys you mentioned there were you know undervalued guys in their recruiting class who have really blossomed and developed into star players. Mm. You know, Brees Hall... When I was there in 2019, he was competing for a starting spot. I don't think he actually started the year. He lost the job to Johnny Lang. Or at least Johnny Lang took the majority of the snaps that year. But now he's transferred out somewhere or he's in the portal. And then about the midpoint of that season, when we played Texas Tech away, he really had a breakout game. You know, he, he burst a few long runs down the sideline. He was catching passes out of the backfield. He was really you know showing his worth and entrenching himself as a starter. You know, but in that year as well, in 2019, our star player was Brock Purdy, our quarterback. You know, we threw the ball the vast majority of the time. He was third in all of the FPS in passing yards, I think, that year. He was really efficient. You know, he was our star player. He was our hero for Iowa State. You know, he's the, he was the hero of the town, like Matt Campbell, as you said. <laughs> as I said. You know, and then you had Charlie Kohler as well, who is, you know, a great receiving tight end. You know, he's a really reliable target. He'll always win a jump ball. He'll win a 50-50. He's a good route runner. And he's a decent run blocker as well. You know, Iowa State's developing a bit of a, you know, a tight end factory there in Ames, Iowa. You know, they've got Chase Allen behind him and then a couple more behind him. They're really starting to copy the the rivals, University of Iowa, in becoming, you know, a tight end mecca. But other players on the roster that I think deserve a mention as well, we've got Mike Rose at linebacker. He actually won... Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, first team, big all Big 12. You also had Will McDonald, who, who had the joint most sacks in all of the FBS in 2020 as well. And he's only been really used you know, as a pass rush specialist or a third down rusher. So if he can develop as a, you know, 
as a run stopper as well, then he's going to become real, real threat mm. you know, on that defensive line. And it's a kind of tough gig playing defensive line for Iowa State because we run a 3-3-5. So you've already got three guys up front yeah. and we'll bring linebackers in. So at times, it's a really tough gig for them. But you know, I've seen him rank highly on a number of draft boards. I've seen late first on one of them, which maybe is a bit optimistic for now, but he's definitely a you know, top three-round pick at the moment, and he's still got you know, another year left. And he didn't start playing until I think it was his junior year of high school, so he's got loads of potential. So, yeah, those, those are the guys I'd really mention. And maybe you could mention Greg Eisworth, really good safety as well. I don't think he was all Big 12, but, yeah, really valuable piece for our defence. Awesome. Yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, with Will McDonald, obviously, if someone's ranking him optimistically at the end of the first kind of thing, it's the season for that, isn't it? It's kind of that sort of silly season with your draft predictions yeah. and things like that. So, but yeah, it's good to have these names to watch. And obviously the, the guys that are more well-known are on offense, which I guess isn't unusual for the Big 12. And I'm glad, kind of glad that you made um, effort to talk about some defenders because obviously there's the kind of thing that the Big 12 doesn't really play defense. So. Yeah. Well, I, I'll, I'll interject there because I think that's becoming a bit of a... You know, it's a bit of a myth. It's been exploited a little bit because if you look at the SEC these last two years, you know, there's been a number of shootouts in there and they've given up points galore. I mean, look at Old Miss versus Alabama. That was, I think they both scored mm. 50. You know, that's becoming a regularity in that conference as well. And it's, it's because air raid principles are starting to get picked up across other conferences now. Oh, yeah. So I think those high scoring games are not just going to be limited to the Big 12 in years to come. I would say, you know, the SEC is a better defensive conference. I'm not going to sit, sit here and say, oh, the Big 12 can match it <laughs> with the SEC. But I think it's, you know, while, whilst it's not untrue, it's a little bit exploited or taken too far that the Big 12 doesn't play defence. You know, it's just teams are starting to figure out how to defend that spread offence that with air raid principles mixed in. So, yeah. So, it's, it's, it's the culture's changing a little bit across the conference then, in your opinion? Yeah, exactly. And funny enough, you, you mentioned defence as well. Clemson actually came into Ames to talk to our coaching staff about the scheme we run because we run a 3-3-5, as I mentioned. Yeah. And they actually went to Ames to learn about that because they've implemented some of that into their defensive scheme now as well. So I would say it's been pretty good in the Big 12 recently because of that scheme and stop, stopping spread offences because you can have the luxury of having three linebackers in there while still having five defensive backs as well to cover downfield. Mm. So, you know, they've, they've sort of, I wouldn't say revolutionised, but they've offered new ideas how to stop these you know, passing attacks. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that um, Bailey used quite well, didn't they, under Matt Rule? They used that formation on Phil Snow's defence from a couple of years ago that now, obviously, uh, they're, they're in Carolina in the NFL. So, yeah, it's definitely something that's becoming a little bit more popular, probably because of, like you say, it's the antidote to the spread offence a little bit if you run it in the right way. So, yeah, yeah. something to watch for sure. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, fair, I, I know I mentioned it, but it's something that is definitely worth mentioning because I, I know that, um, obviously, Oklahoma... Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator over there, he's kind of revered for his defence and he, he gets a bit of talent on there, which he looks like he will again this year. Should be a good defence. So, yeah, like you say, culture's changing and people should stop bashing it, including me, probably, <laughs> for not playing like too I much defence. Like I said, I'm an Iowa State fan. I'm a Big 12 fan for that matter. You know, I'm going to be a bit biased. So, take everything I say with a bit of pinch of salt. <laughs> no, fair enough. I love it. Love it. That's what we get fans on for. We get that passion. Um, so, absolutely. So, moving on into, then, into next season. Obviously, ESPN preseason top 25 has Iowa State number six. So, that's fair. Yeah, of course, you know. I'm not <laughs> no, I guess I kind of walked into that one. You weren't going to say no to that one, were you? Oh, I absolutely landed with that, yes. And um, I've seen a few people very upset about that. And um, maybe they have a point. But, you know, 
they're bringing back so many people or so many starters from the last season. Like I said, 20 out of 22 starters on offense and defense are coming back. So mm-hmm. they've got all that experience and talent coming back. That's really got chemistry already. You know, when we lost to Louisiana at the start of last season, you, you had a bunch of pieces out, like you had Charlie Kohler not starting, he was injured. Our deep threat, Terry Hill, who's a bit of a speedster, he wasn't starting. So Purdy didn't really have the chemistry with a lot of new receivers coming in. But that's developed now, this last mm. season. They've got Brees Hall, who's you know, the dominant player on that team who we can hand the ball off to. So they've got you know perhaps the best back in college football, you could say. So I know PFF wouldn't say that. They love to do <laughs> we, we don't like them on this podcast so, anyway, so that's fine. I, I've, I've had enough of compassion for Brees Hall. Why do United State fans up? So, um, yeah, we've got you know a potentially great season coming up. And let's just hope we can win the matchups we should. Like, we need to beat the University of Iowa. We haven't beat them in five years. You know, the last time we played them, when I was in the stadium, we lost on a muffed uh, punt return. Our own, guy, our own guy ran into the kick return and they recovered it on the 20-yard line with a minute 20 left. You know, and all we needed was a field goal. We lost at one point. And it's been heartache, you know, numerous times playing those guys. So mm-hmm. we need to beat the University of Iowa. We need to beat the Hawk guys. That's our first challenge. Once we get past that, you know, I think we should win most of our games until we play Oklahoma and Texas at the back end of the season. But we can't switch off. We have a habit of, you know, letting our guard down against lesser teams, particularly like Louisiana. And hmm. then the year before, we we took, oh, well, I should say they took us. Northern Iowa took us to triple overtime at home. And they're an FCS school. You know, there's some really good FCS schools. But as a if you want to be a Bluebird FBS team, you know, top five top six program you've got to dismantle those teams you know yeah you've got a habit of you know taking them lightly so i don't think any game is a safe game or a game we can relax you know we've got to fight every game of the season but we have a good chance if we can i think we can lose to oklahoma once and still perhaps make the playoff maybe at a long shot but i think the goal for this season is big 12 title you know playoff is a luxury something we'd love to have but i think if you offered any iowa state fan to win the Big 12 over getting into the playoff, they take that. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? I'm just looking at your schedule now, now that we're looking at next year, and you've got, obviously, Northern Iowa first up, and then, obviously, Iowa. So you've got, like take, like you say, take care of those local teams, those local rivalry games, mm-hmm. and really, like you say, lay a marker down, isn't it, for the Iowa game, and then let that set you up for the rest of the Big 12 schedule. Um, and like you say, you've got the big ones towards the end of the season uh, in November with Texas and Oklahoma with Texas Tech in the middle. So yeah, you've got those big games to kind of stamp your authority and really like comes to that crescendo of the of the season, I guess. Um, well, I guess I'm, I'm going to ask you for a little bit of a prediction, but I guess it's going to be pretty yeah. positive. <laughs> yeah, oh gosh, that's hard, that's hard to predict. I feel like we're going to lose... Well, I think we lose once to Oklahoma, and realistically, if we're going to be in the big 12 title game, you know, we're going to be playing them twice, once in the championship game, once in the you know in the regular season sure so i yeah. think i go it depends how many games we have i'm not sure how, how many we actually have but i think we'll go with one lost oklahoma once in the season and we'll yeah. win the big 12 there we are I'm gonna be there doing, you go <laughs> there you go bias man that's blinkered you know <laughs> no but i think i think it'd be that'd be 11 and one that would be if i'm right i'm not sure i haven't seen the i haven't seen the full schedule or that i haven't counted the number of games i should say so yeah it's back to normal now one. isn't it after last year <laughs> yeah because well, it was so all well, the games are messed up and stuff so <laughs> i think i'm gonna be you know be hopeful and say 11 and one but you know I think it's basically more going to be like 10 and 2 or 9 and 3, but I'm going to pray for 11 and 1. 
Or 12 and 0, you never know. You, could <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> you never know. I guess off the back of that, Brees Hall, he's obviously been talking about as a candidate for the Heisman Trophy. How would we do you think that is? And do you think he can actually do it and pull it off? Maybe I'll be a bit more reasonable here and say, you know, <laughs> running backs, it's it's very hard for a running back to win that outside yeah, of the sure. SEC, really. So it's become a quarterback award, really. You know, and I'm okay with that. You know, I love the position of quarterback, so I'm okay with quarterbacks winning it, winning it all the time. Mm-hmm. But if Brees Hall could be a finalist, I think that'd be a great achievement for not only Brees Hall, but our programme as well. Yeah. So yeah, all 100%. the hard work that's gone in, you know, it's a team effort, being a successful uh, running back, you know, got off the line, you've got to have, you know, the back himself, the coordinators, you know, pass blocking as well, run blocking from the receivers, you know, passing game to open that up. So it's a culmination of a lot of things, really. So... I think it'd be a really good achievement for our programme if he was a finalist, at least. Finalist. Okay, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So I guess um, just to close out and move sort of away from the sort of football thing, and, and I guess one question I want to ask you, and you're in a really good position since you've spent time in the area and obviously on the campus as well, but are there any traditions that are linked to Iowa State that are really cool or do you think the listeners should know about? There's a couple of on-campus in tradition, uh, traditions that I would say, you know, like, you know, the Campanile tradition of kissing under the Campanile at midnight, that's one. You know, you've got um, Lancelot and Elaine, the two swans, which everybody loves to talk about. It's a couple of things like that, weird ones, you know, stuff <laughs> like that. But I'd say, in terms of football, there's everybody shakes the keys before kickoff. That's one everybody likes to do, running up the stairs, which the students do to get the best seats for kickoff, because every, you know, you don't have a specific sit, uh, seat if you're a student. Sure. You, know, you have to compete early for the best ones every game. But I'd say more, it's not really a tradition, but it's becoming more of a habit. Is Iowa State being, you know, that team that can knock off a big name, you know, like they did to Oklahoma the year before. They beat Texas the year before that. They famously beat the number two Oklahoma in 2011, Oklahoma State in 2011. You know, they are, you know, a danger team. They're a trap game. They're, they're a team lots of big teams don't want to come to Ames and play. So I think they're a real underdog and a real, you know, feisty opponent for a lot of big teams. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that's really cool, actually. And I love all this, you know, it's the college football thing, isn't it, of having the on-campus traditions and the traditions that are sort of related to the football team and the fans and things like that. I think it's awesome. So it's, uh, it's really cool to, to check that out. I guess one thing, you've obviously been a great advocate for Iowa State on the podcast <laughs> over the past half an hour or so, but obviously what we're trying to do is obviously we're trying to get fans on to try and attract more fans, both to our podcast, obviously, but also to college football as a whole. Why would it be that someone would follow Iowa State if they hadn't been there and if they were not in your position where you'd been there and spent a bit of time over there, but if they were just picking it from a football point of view? Oof, I'd say probably, you know, they're an underdog. They're, a, they're an up-and-coming team. They're right in, you know, their history now. This is where, you know, this is a great time to be an Iowa State fan. I'd almost relate them to a bit like, I don't want to say Leicester City. That's a bit too much of a compliment. But they, that, that team, this untraditional team that could come and compete with the big dogs, hopefully... Mm-hmm. You know, that's something why I'd say anybody should watch college football at all. You no, know, it reminds me a lot of the football league we have in this country where you can support you know, a lower level team or a team that's not going to compete for a national title, but you'll have so much pride and joy watching your team because they can still compete for you know a bowl game or things like that. There's there's so many things to watch college football for. You know, the pride of supporting a smaller team, you know, it's a it's a great thing to do in college football. But the NFL, you know, in theory, anybody can win it. You know, because there's a draft and stuff. Sure. I'd say it's more related to our football league and you can have more pride in the team, especially because it's more regionalised as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. And obviously, 
later on down the line, obviously in a couple of years' time, we're looking at obviously a larger uh, playoff format. So you'd imagine that Iowa State, if they can keep up this good work they've got, they've got a decent chance of you know being a mainstay in that maybe. Yeah, especially since I think they're looking at a 12-team playoff as being thrown yeah. around, isn't it? And, you know, that, that would be very realistic and, you know, a goal we'd love to achieve. So if, if it does go to 12, I think it's very reasonable. If it's eight, you know, again, reasonable, but, you know, you're still going to have to probably beat teams Oklahoma at least once a year. So it's going to be tough, but playoff, if it goes to 12, is definitely something we'll be striving for every year, hopefully. With Matt Campbell there as well, hopefully that'll be a regular thing. Yeah, definitely. So there you go. Get on the get on the hype train now. When it goes to the 12-team playoff, I was over there every year and you'll get some glory, especially if you don't support a good NFL team like a lot of people don't. So, you know, you get well, some... Well, I'm a Patriots fan, so I can't say oh, okay. that. <laughs> Fair I enough. On a team like Iowa State who haven't had a lot of success is no, it's a bit, it's not karma, but no, it balances it out, let's say. Yeah, for sure. And I, like I said, we've had uh, Clemson fan on Tristan quite recently and he's kind of saying that watching Clemson win and beat the ACC every week is kind of boring. So you kind of need a little bit of balance, like you say, in your life. Yeah, exactly. But Ash, I know that um, off um, away from college football, you're very, very busy playing the game. And obviously we're all about flying the flag for brick ball here at the full 10 yards. So, you know, I'm just going to kind of hand it over to you, talk about the teams that you play for, give us a plug of the teams that you play for, because I know you're, you're very busy, the man, like you say. Uh, yeah, so at the moment, I'm currently playing for the Swansea Ham Reds flag football team based in Swansea, obviously. You know, we've just started our season now. Uh, we're four games in and we are three and one. You know, we, we're hoping to hopefully finish about 10 and two because we're playing the Cardiff Hurricanes, who are the best team in Britain. They are the national champions from two years ago. So it's a bit of an experience this year playing teams like that. Yeah, true. You know, and it's kind of a weird season because teams have, you know, separated into A's and B teams and it's development years. So it's a strange one, but we're always looking for more players. So if you're in the South Wales area, Come give us a shout. We're always looking for more players. We're a friendly club. We'd love to have you. Um, in terms of other teams as well, I played the last, I'd say four years, but one year I was in Iowa State. I was involved with the Swansea Titans, you know, playing for them or backing up them, I should say, as a quarterback. You know, we've had a couple of really good quarterbacks on our team, like Sam Huxtable, who's now in the GFL, and Ellie Bodman as well, who was playing, I think, in GFL three as a receiver slash quarterback. He's coming back from an injury, so I wish him the best speediest of recoveries as well. Yeah, but course. yeah, Titans as well. If you if you're going to Swansea Uni, give them a shout. Great club as well. Always looking for more players again. And recently, I've just joined the South Wales Warriors in the last week or two, just to give it a go and see what it's like. But hopefully, I'll be sticking around there too and um, playing a bit as well. That'd be great. Awesome. Yeah, and I guess um, for all these teams, they're now allowing fans and people like to come watch and stuff like that. I guess. Yeah, exactly. We are. Um, I think with the Hammerheads, we had a few people turn up at the weekend, just friends and family to watch us play up at the top of Swansea, which was really nice. It was miserable weather, so we appreciated <laughs> everybody coming and giving us you know, a watch. That was really nice and special for us. So, yeah, that, that was great. And obviously with the Warriors now, playing out of Flanharan Rugby Club, the, you know, the seat in there, there's cover from the bad Welsh weather as it is today. You know, it's lashing down outside. So come give them a watch as well. Hopefully, like again, a weird season, but an interesting one and a good one for development. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you know, like I say, if you're in the Swansea area um, and if you know these places that I don't actually talking about, like I say, get yourself down there, give them some support and uh, yeah, get yourself into Britball as well. Because obviously it's a, it's, you know, it's a developing standard. It's a really up and coming standard and, you know, you get to watch some good football. I remember obviously uh, watching a few of my friends who used to play for Manchester Titans back in the day. 
um, probably wasn't as good as it is now in terms of standard and, you know, it's becoming ever better. So, yeah, like you say, if you're in the Swansea area, get down and watch these guys play um, and get yourself down there and spend some money and support these clubs and things like that. All right. But, uh, yeah, Ash, thank you very much for coming on. I uh, really appreciate it. really appreciate you coming on and talking about uh, a little bit of a different school that we probably wouldn't have talked about if it wasn't for you. So, um, yeah, I appreciate that, my friend. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, get you back on. Maybe when Iowa State are in the playoff uh, or New York Police win the ties or something like that later down the line. All right. Yeah, let's hope for that. Uh, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Uh, roll clones. <laughs> You're more than welcome, mate. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep in touch and we'll see you soon. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Full 10 Yards. Thank you for tuning in to the Full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. We have great information and some great content for you guys. Keep on flying that flag.